and welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and stories around the Washington National Guard. In this episode, we talk to Captain Hans Zeiger, a public affairs officer with the 194th Wing, and a state senator from Puyallup. I'm joined by guest host Stephen Friedrich from our state communications office. If there's something you'd like us to talk about in the future, please let us know. Uh, In the show notes, I have my email address, and I'm always open to new ideas. I hope you enjoy. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mill.wa.gov preparedness. Okay, today we're joined by Hans Zeiger, and uh, he's a member of the Air Guard, and he is, was just recently um, awarded the Citizen Service Member of the Year Award, and he's a state senator, and he does many things. So, hello. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be with you. Why don't you tell us about one of or all of your many hats and jobs? <laughs> well, um, for, for this purpose, I'm a captain in the Washington Air National Guard. I serve in the 194th Wing, and um, I've been doing that now for almost seven years. And uh, got my commission in 2013 went off to public affairs school at the Defense Information School in Fort Meade, Maryland in 2014, and I've been the public affairs officer in the 194th wing for the last few years, and uh, it's been a great experience. I've learned so much, and it's a great way to serve in the military part-time, get a lot of training, learn a lot about leadership, learn a lot about the military, but also have a civilian life as well, and so in my civilian capacity, I serve in the state legislature, and uh, the, one of the great things about that is that I get to help advance some of the things of interest to um, the military department and the guard, and um, you know the the guard is such an important part of what the state does, um, and so it's really cool to be able to see that from a legislative perspective as well. Awesome. Um, what is it like being a public affairs officer in the Air Guard? Well, I really enjoy being a public affairs officer because. You get to learn so many things about different parts of, in our case, the wing, uh, the 194th wing, which is one of the very few um, wings in the Air National Guard that doesn't fly. So we we really specialize operationally in cyberspace operations, in air support operations. We also have a medical group and a mission support group. And we have some really talented people in our wing. We've had some really amazing leaders over, over time. And so being a public affairs officer, I get to help tell the story about those good things and I get to manage a team of uh, photojournalists 
we uh, just brought on a full-time person at the wing, and so that's going to really enhance our ability to get out and be involved in the community and to tell our story and uh, just some amazing things going on. I think, I think our wing, the 194th, which is primarily at Camp Murray, but also has uh, a unit over at JBLM and has a couple of units over at Fairchild and Spokane, um, the 194th is really on the cutting edge of where the Air Force is going. Yeah, plus uh, public affairs is the best job in the military. Sure, that's right. <laughs> so, so, hi, this is Stephen Friedrich. And yes. I'm co-hosting with Sarah today, and I'm a, uh, He's public a surprise voice officer <laughs> working for the Washington Military State Department on the state side. And uh, um, uh, Hans has been an acquaintance of mine for a very, very long time. And so, so Hans, one of my earliest memories of you, um, I was a reporter at the Puyallup Herald. This would have been in the early 2000s, and I remember high school you, and I remember you working on um, the memorial statue right. at, at Pioneer Park in Puyallup. And, and Sarah, so you know, there, there had never been a uh, memorial of any sorts really in Puyallup to honor, honor our, our veterans there. And, uh, and I remember you working really hard on that. What do you remember about that? Well, I got involved in that. Um, uh, partly, it was I think it was my senior project. Uh, it was part of the culminating project in the Puyallup School District. But I, I was really interested in supporting, uh, the, you know, mem remembering veterans and uh, those who had paid the ultimate price. Um, and there was a great group of veterans getting together to put that together, led by uh, actually a woman by the name of Eunice Gilliam, who went to the city council and lobbied for that statue. And uh, because of her efforts that came to pass and it was dedicated in 2002 of course not too long after September 11th no, and not um, too long after uh, Nathan Chapman died. that's correct that's <clears throat> correct and um, Nathan Chapman who was one of the first people to die in the uh, war on terrorism in Afghanistan and um, and actually that had a big influence on me uh, later on down the road when I was in graduate school I decided you know there's this narrow window of opportunity to talk to members of the World War II generation I was watching actually with some some roommates in grad school the uh, Band of Brothers series, and they've got these interviews with real live veterans prior to the um, the movies. And I thought, gosh, I need to go talk to people back home in Puyallup and try to understand as much as I can about what that generation went through. And so I just got started on interviews in December of 2007, and I ended up when, when all was said and done doing about 120 interviews with people, friends and family of people who were killed. Uh, veterans and Japanese Americans who were interned in the Puyallup Fairgrounds during the war. And, and, and you were writing stories for the newspaper at that that's point, right. weren't you? Yeah, yep. And then um, in the course of time, kind of put that project aside, but then came back to it and got it published as a book last year. So, um, you know, I, that, that's really a cool experience that I had being able to learn about that generation. But it also really inspired me about what can I do to serve? You know, kind right. of this realization that every generation has to do its part. And so um, that really got me thinking more and more about. Um, joining the military myself. And then, so when did you join? I joined in 2012 okay. and then got my commission in 2013. And I was in my late 20s at the time, um, you know, and so I've been at this now for almost seven years. And, uh, you know, what one of the best decisions I ever made to uh, join the Guard. The Guard is such a great way to serve, and um, it's been so rewarding. And I think, you know, and I'm looking forward to many good things to come in the future, too. So what spurred that decision, though? Was it just talking to all of these veterans? And that that had a lot to do with it. But I think also, I, as a kid, I got to know some members of the Washington Air National Guard 
who I really looked up to, and I'll mention them. Uh, one was a chaplain in the 194th wing, Chaplain Chris Lynch, and uh, I went to church with him and just admired him, and uh, I also knew another guy through my church who was a member of WAS, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Anderson, and then through my Boy Scout troop growing up, um, one of our scoutmasters was Lieutenant Colonel Mike Moran, who was the base civil engineer here at Camp Murray. And those three guys, I, I looked up to them and I thought, you know, they're serving their country in a meaningful way as, as well as their state. And, um, and they were also doing things in the community that were valuable. And so uh, I think they had a big influence on me. And then um, later on, you know, I, I was specifically interested in a public affairs position in the Guard, so put out feelers about that. And I got a call from the recruiter one day saying, yeah, we've got an opening. And so I jumped on that opportunity. Awesome. What's a, uh, the ability of you to write, take photos, do messaging? I mean, you're, you are almost a reporter. And so has that given you a kind of a different ability to relate to reporters as people are mm. interviewing you? Yeah, you know, I think going to the Defense Information School, Fort Meade, Maryland, really was great training for understanding messaging, understanding communication that doesn't just apply for to, to the military setting, but it's really helped me to understand political communication or public communication in my legislative world. You know, um, how do you respond effectively to a question from a reporter? Um, how, you know, and I think you can see both sides of that. You can see the side of being the one uh, interacting with a reporter, but you can also see yourself in the role of a reporter. I think because I went to that training, I'm a better writer. I understand AP style and all of the, the kinds of things mm -hmm. that they really drill into you there about, um, you know, how to conform to military standards of writing. And, and, um, and so I think I'm a, a better writer, better communicator, um, and better at, I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think I can relate probably better to journalists because of the training, but also because of the experience that I've had in the Guard being a public affairs officer. And your, your coverage that you did with Hurricane Harvey, I was super impressed. And I think I've told you that before. And, and so anyone out there should should Google your name and then Hurricane Harvey, and they might be able to find some stuff on Divids. Um, but, but you know, what was that like for you? Well, I, was, I uh, had an opportunity to uh, go out and... and uh, be part of the response after um, Hurricane Harvey, and it, I ended up going to the National Guard Coordinating Center at uh, the National Guard Bureau in Ar Arlington, Virginia, and I was at the public affairs desk um, in the National Guard Coordinating Center, learned a lot about how things operate at that level, and uh, you know, you're in a big emergency operations center, and uh, getting all kinds of inputs from, you know, at that time, not only Harvey, but then there was Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria, and so for almost a month, being uh, in that room and being part of the coordination with different public affairs folks who were on the ground, as well as um, feeding information to some of the top brass in the National Guard Bureau, it was, a, it was a great experience for me, learned a lot, learned a lot about how the National Guard Bureau operates and kind of, the, the, because I think when we're down here at the wing level or the, you know, at the state level, um, you know, sometimes that stuff back in D.C. and the Guard Bureau can seem sort of distant and, uh, and abstract, but I think I was able to put some uh, faces to names and kind of understand the, that, that that is a human operation and you can go and make a difference in that operation too. Yeah, that would be so intense. Was it just <laughs> right. like, were you at, so you were at the press desk? I was at the public affairs desk um, in uh, the National Guard Coordinating Center uh, you know, great big room filled with right. a, lot of, a lot of TV screens and computer screens and that kind of so thing. So you're doing a lot of like respond to query and stuff right. like that. That's fun. 
That's interesting. That would be a dealing with journalist situation for sure. Well, less for sure. of the less of the response to query, but we did field field some uh, calls from congressional offices okay. and uh, you know rerouted some other kinds of calls that we got. Okay. And um, but a lot of it was kind of getting the right public affairs information right. to, uh, to to some of the, you know, the four star general who's the commander of the NGB that kind of thing. Okay, I get what you're saying. Well, I mean that, and then he knows how to craft a lead. So yeah. Uh, I mean that's that's a skill in of itself. It really is. It's it's a because you know you're uh, people that don't have that experience thinks it's just really easy to, to write a new story and it it can be diff challenging. Right, right. Yeah, you got to get your facts right. You've got to make sure that you're uh, going to the right sources. Uh, there's there's a lot to it. So, oh, for, for yeah. sure. And that's makes me wonder how many of the of the the state capital core actually know what you do on the side. Uh, that that I mean, I, we always talk that you have some respect, obviously. But uh, have you ever told anybody like, "Hey, I I kind of am a journalist." Uh, well, I probably I probably should, you know, uh, <laughs> let, let some pull, of them know that. Pull and Rachel I, aside, I might, might get say, some more respect from them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Will you get more respect? <laughs> I, I, I I was super impressed when I found out. And, I know I'm a I'm a former journalist. It's it's a uh, so another another memory I, I had written down. Um, Stephen, you can be a still be a journalist because oh, you you still write news stories. That's, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Technically, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the correction. You're it's welcome. always good to correct too. I it's it's a uh, um I remember you going to some kind of function and you had a question for Dave Morell, who at that point was a state representative. And, and I only remember the exact question. I just remember you being really articulate, asking the question, Dave's eyebrows going way up in the air and, and, and replying. And then my thought was like, wow, okay, this is probably the most articulate teenager I've ever met. And, and, uh, um, and so, so where, where was the kernel in your mind that I want to be a politician? I want to be uh, an elected official. Well, I, I did. I had a number of things that kind of pointed me toward public service when I was a kid. I, I should say, I mean, I was. I had a whole lot to learn when I was at that age. I mean, I may have come across as articulate, but boy, I sure had a lot to learn. So, uh, and also be humbled. I mean, I think I was sort of full of myself when I was in, in high school and stuff like that. And, I, and so, hopefully, I'm a little bit more. That humble usually helps when you're asking now, so. questions of officials. Though. Yeah. Oh, well, for sure. But yeah, it was a good and, question. I couldn't tell you what it is. And, I just uh, remember articulate, and and that's the word that sticks well, out thanks. in my my mind. And I've seen you speak now on the floor of the Senate, and I'd say that you definitely are still articulate. You you speak with a pointed, pointed way. You you uh, you have a message that you're trying to send to no matter the audience that you're sending it. Yeah, and you do it. Well, I'm learn. I'm, I'm continuing to learn about public speaking. You know, my first three or four years in the state house, I was really nervous about getting up and speaking on the house floor, and. Uh, um, I got more comfortable once I had a ranking position on a committee, had to get up more regularly to speak. And I think that kind of forced me to um, to get more comfortable on the House floor. The Senate, I, I'm much more comfortable speaking on the Senate floor. Part of that, I think, there are just fewer senators, you know, fewer, fewer people that you're talking to in the room. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's in a similar way. I think I gained a lot of confidence when I went off to um, my officer training. I mean, I think that was a real confidence booster for me. Uh, as a leader, uh, just kind of learning the various military skills that you learn there in officer training. And so having that experience has been really enriching for me. And then we also do at DINFOS, I'm sure they still do uh, a lot of like speech writing, speech giving, uh, 
talking on camera mm-hmm. stuff to make that you very uncomfortable and i think that right. probably helps it did it did and i realized I say ah and um too much, and I have certain certain weaknesses that I didn't really pick up on, and did you was, have wasn't any, aware like, of, and I'm more, much more conscious about tells that happened when they did the video, and you had to watch it back. Like for me, when I had to watch my video on video um, interview back, I would have a tell that I was like not sure because red, my skin would just start turning red slowly from my <laughs> collarbone all the way up my neck and I had no idea that it was going on and I didn't feel uncomfortable but it was like clearly something was happening with me and I had no idea and then after I watched that I was like I probably would have been better off not seeing this tell that I have because now I'm thinking about it every time (laughs) (laughs) did you have any like sort of things I mean you the speech thing, yeah, everybody says um and or. I think another thing yeah. that I learned through that was that I tend to drag on too long in my okay. answers. Hopefully I'm not doing that right now. But Well, this is long-form <laughs> communication, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, this, I always think that that's the most interesting part is when you get to see yourself on doing an on-camera interview and, and they're showing it back to you and you're like, oh, okay, that's what I look like. I need to really work on this. How old were you when you decided, you know, I want to be a politician. I want to be run for office someday. Well, you know, I, one of the influences on me was being part of the page program down in the legislature in junior high school and, you know, getting to explore the Capitol for a week yeah. getting paid to do it. Who were you a page and for? For uh, Representative Joyce McDonald, yeah, who uh, was on the county council mm-hmm. after she was in the state house and then, and then came back to the state house for a term a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got to serve with her before she retired. But um, a lot of different influences. I think, you know, I had some teachers in school who were big influences on me. Um, also, my, my grandfather, when I, when I got the award that she talked about earlier from the uh, Tacoma Pierce County Chamber of Commerce and the Tacoma Kiwanis Club last week, um, I talked about two of my grandfathers, one who served in the Air Force and was actually killed in an Air Force plane crash in 1964. Uh, so he really in- inspired me about military service, you know, knowing of his legacy. But my ever- other grandfather, uh, Ed Zeiger, who just celebrated his 90th birthday, uh, longtime educator and community volunteer, just totally dedicated to the Puyallup community for most of his life. And uh, so growing up with him as my grandfather, he was a real inspiration to me to get involved in the community and do something in terms of public service. And so, you know, I think that he's had a big influence on me as well. Who was, who was the elementary school named for? Was That's that named after my, that grandfather. Okay. Yeah, Ed yeah, Zager. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, you live in a city where there's a building with your name on it. Is that blowing your mind? <laughs> you know, it's definitely, you know, that when I was first running for the, uh, the legislature and, and actually to this day, you know, probably the question I get more than any other is how are you related to the school <laughs> you know and so um, yeah so that's named after my grandfather and that's a pretty cool legacy uh, but it's also a responsibility I mean I think when, when you have kind of um, you know th- those kinds of ideals and you're aware of uh, what you can do to make a difference in your own community you, you really do need to step up and serve and every generation has got to do that and um, I just kind of feel like I've got this responsibility to to do my part in the time that I've been given and and uh you know, I think the guard is another great way to do that. What's your favorite thing about being a member of the state legislature? You know, I think um, the relationships that you form in so many different ways, whether it's with your colleagues, whether it is with the constituents that you serve, and you can make a difference 
you know, sometimes that takes you know patience yeah you can't make a difference overnight on every issue sometimes there are things where you can do something pretty quickly but but a lot of times it takes years to make a difference but um you know, I serve 150,000 people in my district, uh, so I have 150,000 bosses. Sometimes right. they want me to, you know, half of them want me to do one thing and half of them want me to do a different thing. And so I have to balance all of that. But, um, you know, I think if you have strong relationships, if there's some trust between you and your constituents, then um, people allow you to go and uh, do some good things for the community. And, um, it, it, you know, we are a citizen legislature. And so that um, allows us to have people from every kind of background, every kind of profession, every kind of perspective serving in our legislature. And so getting to work with people from all across the state who are citizen legislators is a great privilege. Right. And I'm, I'm sure the hardest thing is when you have to make the right choice, even though maybe not everybody is going to be happy. Because like you said, 50% will want you to do one thing and 50% will want to do do the other but you're you're trying to do that right choice i'm sure that's the hardest that, is, that's tough and is sometimes criticism. And sometimes you can see both sides of an issue right sometimes you know but but at the end of the day there's no undecided vote you gotta right. vote yes or no on right. an issue and so there's some tough votes for sure so so for 30 years or maybe longer the the people out there have wanted them to finish uh, 167 highway 167 and and so i know you I finally figured that out. I, I, I was I was seeing that uh, you, you ended up getting some funding for it a couple of years ago, right? And then I think just this recent session, there was an accelerated timeline. It's, it's uh, so so that that's pretty cool. I mean, infrastructure is one thing that I know both parties can can agree on. That's Absolutely. It. Yeah. No, I, I was, uh, you know, a big supporter of the completion of 167 from the time that I got into the legislature in 2011. And then in 2015, on a bipartisan basis, the legislature passed the largest in, uh, transportation investment package in state history, and that included the completion of 167. But at the time that we passed that, it was kind of a pay-as-you-go project. So one of the things that I got involved with this year uh, was to figure out a way to accelerate that project. And so uh, it'll now be done in 2028, so within the decade, and uh, looking forward to hopefully the, uh, the, you know, the groundbreaking for that project later on this year. And uh, you know, once that construction starts, uh, you know, once that's completed in 2028, that'll be a real advantage for the economy in the South Puget Sound area, uh, particularly for freight mobility in and out of the Port of Tacoma. So I worked in, um, when I worked in Puyallup, I would take 167 north to Seattle to get my finish my uh, college degree okay. at the University of Washington. Yep. I would really like to have seen that way better. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just saying, traffic is way worse today than even that. I don't think it matters what's finished. I think traffic is just the way traffic is here. I mean, when I came, went to the airport yesterday from Packwood, it was quicker to go through Mount Rainier National Park than to go around through I-5. So if that doesn't say something about traffic, I don't know what would. I've had to do that too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, um... What what is something you would like to see change for for the better in Puyallup for your district? I mean, other than I sixty seven, our one sixty seven um, getting completed. Is there is there some like big project you really really passionate yeah. about? Well, one of the issues that I've really gotten interested in in uh, the last few years and trying to be very involved with is uh, homelessness. And so I got involved this year as the ranking minority member of the 
new committee in the Senate that we call the Housing Stability and Affordability Committee. And I'm also on the Human Services Committee, really interested in figuring out how do we address some of the different needs of our homeless populations, right. particularly for, you know, I, mean, I think there's a lot of attention for uh, the homeless population that is experiencing uh, substance abuse disorder and mental illness, so we have to address that. But there's also populations of homeless veterans and right. homeless students and homeless families, and we need to address uh, those those various needs. Right, homelessness is such a mm -hmm. that's a big one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then on the you know on the guard front, uh, we actually did a big thing this year by yes. increasing state active duty pay, which I think will be a big incentive for folks to join the fight against wildfires during the summer and other. Uh, domestic operations responses at the state level. One of the other things that happened this year was some new money into the National Guard scholarship, but I think that there's additional work to be done uh, yeah. in, in higher education for National Guard members, both as an incentive for recruitment and retention. And so I'm hoping that we can do a full tuition incentive for Guard members in the coming year because uh, that that is a powerful incentive in other states right and, and there's no reason we shouldn't be able to do that in our state as well right and i that's a, that's an area where i feel bad for the air guard members because they don't have the same tuition accessibility uh for assistance as the the right. army guard guys right so yeah i know that that's a big issue that that they're working on Cool. So you are a part-time legislator, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand, is that our legislature is part-time. You're only there when they're in session. Um, so so what do you do over, you know, I mean, the, the session's been over now for a little bit. Um, it's it's going to be a little while before you get committee hearings again. So you got some time. What, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, the... There, there's definitely year-round commitments in the legislature, so it, I tell people it is uh, it is less than full-time, but it is definitely more than part-time. Like today, I had a committee meeting this morning uh -huh. uh, and then caught up on emails before coming to be with you and then um that but i also like do the guard, the guard. Thing. that takes up that that takes up more time that it's not just the one week <laughs> in a month uh, two weeks a year all but the it's time. that so same last, thing it's not year. just part-time right. but it's not quite full-time <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's exactly so right so. Together pretty good, <laughs> yeah yeah so last year um i got to go to germany for a couple of weeks on annual training to spend right. all air base that was a that's great trip. too bad <laughs> and uh, also got to be part of a um, innovative readiness training mission um, that the Department of Defense puts on, and our uh, a lot of our medical group was involved with that, and so okay. I was the public affairs officer for that, and that took a, about three weeks of time last year. So, um, and then on top of that, I do some independent writing projects. I'm working on a corporate history for a company in the Midwest right now, and then oh, also cool. working to help uh, a guy in Puyallup finish it, do his memoirs, and um, and I do a little bit of nonprofit work too. So I got like four part time jobs. And, and you <laughs> just published your book. Your book. What's it called? Tell us. It's called where. Puyallup in World War Two. And, yeah. and what is it about besides the 1936 Olympics in that's which I, Puyallup yeah. sent two ladies? Yeah, that's how I start out. It, it, uh, Puyallup actually sent um, Gertrude Wilhelmsen, yep. who was uh, involved in some track, um, um, track. And field events, yep. as well as George Holm. Right. Actually, he, he became most famous recently because of the book Boys in the Boat. He was part of the University of Washington crew team that went to the Olympics in 1936. Okay. And so that kind of sets the stage for World War II. And then, uh, you know, we get into some of the people who went off and served in different parts of the world and, and talk about what things were like on the home front as well. I mean, you could write a book like that about any community in America because that right. was really a generational war. We haven't had anything quite like that since. But uh, we, we better be prepared, you know, for any kind of 
uh, conflict that comes our way. And that's, that's partly why the guard is so important is because right. it helps to enhance that preparedness for whatever may come in our, you know, in our country, whether it's uh, something that happens domestically, whether it is um, a natural disaster or whether it is something that happens overseas. Yeah, for sure. And I know there's a chapter on the Japanese internment and it's, it's a, and, uh, um, and, and that's, that's, always interested me i remember seeing a photo of the the gates that are there now the iron iron fences with hands sticking through them uh, so this old black and white photo and i don't know if i'd be able to find it again but but i was like what is that and and i and i don't remember ever learning about that in high school or anything and and it just really interested me to learn more and more and so i mean this is your backyard yeah there were there were like eight thousand japanese americans who were interned in the fairgrounds in puyallup now it was a temporary center before yeah. most most of the, uh, those folks ended up in the desert of idaho at minidoka for the remainder of the war uh but eight thousand and uh, wow. it was like doubling the population of puyallup overnight and um you know to think about that loss of uh, civil liberties to think about people being displaced from their homes many of them in the Puyallup Valley there were a number of Japanese American families farming in the Puyallup Valley and uh, you know in the spring of 1942 so many of those families were uprooted and what a tragedy it's and, definitely you know, part of the history part of the history but let's you know let's resolve that that not happen again yeah right yeah yeah, for, for sure. But what was the process you took to writing the book? Did you take like your old articles that you had written and then... Those formed the base for it, but I did, had a lot of other research that I had accumulated, did a lot of reading from some things people had published, you know, some memoirs that people had written about their war experiences, uh, dug through a lot of old newspaper articles in the Puyallup Valley Tribune and the Puyallup Press, and just cobbled that all together and turned it into chapters. And I had to be selective because uh, there was certainly more material than I could actually use in the book. Of course. You have a lot of good photos in there too. Thanks. Yeah. 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 The photo. I always think the photos from then is so cool, but it's like so hard to get really good quality ones from like the newspapers and stuff when you're popping them out. Because we just did a big, huge history project at my unit. Because I'm from the my unit in the reserve is 102nd hmm. uh, training division, which used to be the 102nd infantry okay. division in the in World War II. So that's the unit that uh, the Germans surrendered to. Hmm. Um, so it's a very historied unit, but it's so hard to find quality photos from the World War II period that yes. we can use today in our displays and stuff right. like that. Well, and in uh, the 194th wing, next door to our public affairs office in our photo studio, we have all these boxes of photos of different units, and most of them are combat communications units, right. but most of these photos are not labeled. You don't know which units yeah. they are, and I just wish that uh, you know we had a little bit more information so that we could do, because there's some really great photos in there, and I'd like to be able to feature those on our Facebook page and things uh, for our wing. Um, but, uh, you know, lacking some of that information, right. it's tough to really use those. I know. It's such a bummer because I love those old historical photos. They look so great. So you have three kids, right? I've got I've got a little daughter and I've got two stepsons. And um, and so our little little girl just turned three years old not too long ago. And, uh, you know, strong willed little girl. And, and we've all and, and then we have uh, three dogs. So um, we have a cockapoo who's 10 months old. And then my wife decided we, we, we should get two brand new cockapoo puppies and so uh, so we've got those as well and so life, life is exciting in our house that's funny that's a lot 
It's a lot kids, of activity. Kids and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I bet your daughter loves the all the, the puppies. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The puppies <laughs> usually don't feel the same, though. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, is she going to do Girl Scouts or anything? She may. She may. Uh, sh- she'll, uh, you know, I think she'll definitely be an active um, person who wants to get involved in a lot of things. And uh, she is... Uh, you know, strong-willed, extroverted little girl. I tend to be a little more introverted, but my wife is more extroverted, so I think she probably has a little more of my wife's personality, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad of that. So. Hans was a, an Eagle Scout. Oh, okay. It's, it's, uh, well, she could do Boy Scouts even. That's true. That's, oh, yep. yeah. Did they change that? Yeah, it's open. It's completely yep. open Actually, now. Actually, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, are, you, are you part of Boy Scouts at all or anything? I was, uh, went, went up through Boy Scouts, became an Eagle Scout. I was uh, an assistant scout master for a time in my old troop, and then I was on the board for the Pacific Harbors Council uh, for a time. Haven't been active recently, but um, it's definitely an organization cool. near and dear to my heart. Uh, my grandfather, who I mentioned earlier, uh, got involved as an assistant scout master in the troop that I grew up in um, in 1963, and he's been involved to this day. I mean, just amazing, you know, commitment in within my family to scouting. And then I also mentioned uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Moran, who worked here in the National Guard for many years, and he was also yeah, an assistant scout master in my troop. I do um, a lot of work with emergency management and some of our our biggest fans are, are former Eagle Scouts or I guess you're once an Eagle Scout always an Eagle Scout right it's mm-hmm. it's a uh, but but I've, I've seen a lot of folks that are pushing preparedness and it's like well you know I learned this and why can't you learn that that's right it's, it's a uh, so yeah they bet they definitely focus a lot on preparedness for those different activities oh for sure yeah uh I think that's it unless there's anything else we missed no I think that you know I, I appreciate the the fact that you're doing these podcasts because I think it's so important to um, tell the story about what the military yeah. department is doing. And uh, you there's know, so many like stories to, to tell. Yeah, you know, one of the things I like to say, I'll just say this in closing. You know, is that in our state constitution, um, it goes through. Here's how government is going to be structured. Here are the branches of government, and then it says what the government is going to do. And the first thing it says is government is going to prioritize education. Education is the paramount duty of the state in Washington state. So that's article nine. Article 10 is about the militia, which, which we know is the national guard. And it, you know, it says that the legislature will provide for the militia. And so that is such a, an important responsibility. So it's cool for me to be able to uh, see both sides right. of that, to see the value of the guard being in the guard, but also to see the value of the guard being in the legislature where I can make a difference in making sure that, um, Guard has those resources that we're living up to our state constitution and that we're making good policies that line up with what the Guard is trying to do. That's awesome. And you're upholding your constitution in multiple ways. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. That is really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I also love that wording, though. That will provide. I like that. That's a really strong wording. Awesome. Thank you.